Good morning, everybody. Just going to check my sound and make sure that everybody can hear me. Let's make sure I'm coming through. Checking. All right, we are live. We'll be getting started here in just a minute. Share if you care. My name is Joe Y. Rostick, pastor of Metro Praise International, happily married husband to Nancy Vorostick, Vorostick rather, and we have six beautiful children. I got into the subject of suicide a few years ago when I began to notice that it was not only impacting people in the world, but also in the church. I wrote on it uh, what, two days ago when I saw that a pastor had committed suicide. No, it was yesterday. Boy, seems like it was a long time ago because all that's been going on. But uh, when I wrote about it, I said that it was a sin, that this man more than likely is in hell, the pastor who took his life. And of course, that brought up a lot of different issues. The first one was the mental health issue. Now, yesterday, I made a video on the mental health. No, it's Wednesday. Today is Wednesday. I wrote the article on Monday. So it has been two days. Okay, that feels about right. So I wrote the article on Monday, and then I did a video yesterday on the mental health issues. It turned out to be two hours long. Go back and check it out if you haven't. I go through all of my research. I have about almost 50 books on the subject. And I probably do. I, I, I listen 47 from my online Kindle, but I have more here. So I have at least 50 plus books. I've studied all the main doctors that are on the subject right now, um, most of them not being saved. Well, anyways, I put up a poll yesterday and go and answer the poll. It's on Facebook right now that, that asked the question, if you just had 10 seconds, not a lifetime of counseling, 10 seconds to talk to the pastor before they were to take their life. What would you say to them? And I gave this the two options here. Jesus loves you, and if you do this, you'll go to hell, or Jesus loves you, and if you do this, you'll go to heaven. Well, there on that post, I think we're getting close to around 80, 90 comments. Uh, we already have 66 votes. And what I've seen has come up now is a lot of people are taking it personal, bringing up their stories. And I want you to listen to me as a pastor. I love you. I care about you. I will hug you if I see you and tell you I'm sorry that you've lost someone to this. Or if you have suffered this way, I will honestly tell you I love and care about you. But at the same time, at the same time that I love you, I care about you, and I love everyone that has ever been on God's green earth, because I'm commanded to do that. At the same time, I love I also am here to preach and to teach and to tell the truth. So I noticed people were getting personal as if I, as a pastor in 20 plus years, haven't had to deal with it. I don't know an exact number, but I would say in my life, I've probably helped by God's grace through the church about 50 to seven. What's up, Booster? Uh, no, thank you. About 50 to 75 people not commit suicide and fulfill the plan that God has for them. Maybe even more, but I'm trying to take a conservative number. So I totally get the personal side. The other thing that I began to realize what began to come up was that people just couldn't get over if it's a sin or not. They're thinking it's a gray issue. And I really want to talk about that. And then the other issue that kept coming up, which I did not predict that it would, but it makes sense that it that it did come up. So I'm not in any way like thrown off, but people were starting to say, well, if a pastor uh, commits suicide, well, then that means they were probably saved at one time, right? So are we now saying they lost their salvation? 
So that's a great conversation. So I'm not going to deal too much about the personal side of things. I believe I did that yesterday. Go back and listen to it yesterday, how we talked about we love people with mental illnesses and so forth. But remember, mental illness does not equal suicide. Mental illness, uh, madness, issues of the mind is something totally different than taking one's life. Taking one's life is a decision to deliberately end your life. It's not an accident. By definition, it means you are in the place to be able to take a gun and bring it to your head, hang yourself, consider if the thing is load-bearing, to jump off a bridge, to go there. As I, I showed yesterday, almost half of people leave notes. That's how sound of mind they are. I actually read some of the suicide notes yesterday, so go back and listen to it. Some of the suicide notes actually say, I'm not crazy. I'm actually doing this with the right mind. I'm happier than I've ever been. I just want to die right now. That's that's in the letters. I talked about that. So we're not going to get into all of that today. What we're going to do, by God's grace, is make this a Bible study, and then I'll answer questions, and I'll bring on uh, some people that I know and trust, if they have any, any issues with this, that uh, maybe I could help you online. You would have to go through my link of we uh, a Zoom webinar so that you could come on and possibly I could have you join the show, like as if it's a radio show, a radio video show on Facebook. Okay, so God, we ask you to give us your grace, your mercy, your peace. Help us to have a discussion about the Bible and what it teaches, Lord, according to murdering of ourselves and what is the duration of salvation. Father, we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. As you can see, I'm opening up here to see if I have any comments or questions already okay so just if you have questions put them up there now as i'm beginning to talk if you need something to be clarified i will uh do that as best as i can good to see montez gg crystal god bless you thank you so much and uh let's get into it well when we go to the bible we first have to understand what is the call of christians now we know that we're supposed to preach the gospel and do all of these wonderful things so let's just let's just put that on the board you know let's just put it on the board let's go to mark chapter 16 and see here at the end what jesus commands us to do how we're supposed to preach the gospel so what this will do right here is kind of take away the emotional side of whatever we come to the conclusion of suicide being because if suicide is a sin then it must be preached as a sin right because if we're preaching the gospel we're preaching people to turn from their sins, okay? That's inherent in the gospel, in the good news. And let me just show that to you before I even go to Jesus's words there. In uh, Ephesians chapter two, the Bible says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those that are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. Like, re like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved there's the gospel it starts off by recognizing that we have been in sin and god is redeeming us from sin it's not by our works it's by his work us trusting in him us receiving it is a gift and it is our choice i do believe in free will and as we receive grace and we receive faith we can reject faith and we can reject grace. We'll get into that in just a little bit. But I just wanted to remind us of the gospel. It's all throughout the New Testament. Here's the command of Jesus in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and onward. What does it say? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. 
preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, teach that men were born sinners but can be saved by Jesus' vicarious atonement, that salvation is by faith, receiving it and believing that Jesus is the answer, that we don't do it on our own, right? That's the gospel. Now watch, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That doesn't mean you have to be baptized to be saved. It's just saying that baptism follows the saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Notice how it doesn't say those who don't believe and are not baptized will be condemned. You get it? So if people try to say you have to be baptized to be saved, that's not true because it would mean if I wasn't baptized and I would be unsaved, I would be lost. But when Jesus reiterates it and puts it the other way, he simply puts belief at the heart of the message. It's the, it's the heart of the gospel is believing faith, right? But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then the Bible says they go out and preach the gospel everywhere. Now, let us understand something about condemnation. We understand that the world, according to John chapter 3, is under condemnation right now. So any story that we bring up of somebody committing suicide, we have to understand if they were not saved to begin with, if they were not a Christian to begin with, suicide is not even the issue of what damns them. They're already condemned because of the sin in their life. So we cannot come up with a noble excuse for someone to go to heaven, okay, other than the blood of Jesus. We can't say, well, what about this? What about this? Now they die. Do they still get to go to heaven? No, there's only one way to heaven, only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to talk about general revelation, the matters of the conscience in Romans chapter one, that's a whole nother discussion. Great book on that written by a missiologist, eternity in their hearts, talking about how unreached people groups were given light through their conscience and, and the creation, and they were able to reach out for more light and God would send them missionaries or God would give them dreams and visions. That's a whole nother conversation. And as well, what happens to children when they die is a whole nother conversation. There's books written on, is there such thing as an age of accountability? What did Jesus mean when he said the kingdom of heaven belongs to children? Now, if you just want my 30-second answer in passing, I believe unreached people groups have an opportunity to be saved by the light that they're given, and then God will send them more light, i.e. the gospel. I base that in Romans chapter 1. I do believe that children all over the world have the ability to go to heaven without hearing the gospel because the kingdom of God belongs to them, but we must give them the gospel to ensure that when they reach an age of accountability, they don't, they don't come under the condemnation of their own guilt and sin and then go to hell. And I base that on Jesus's word, the kingdom of God belongs to them. But once again, everybody get this, we're not looking for exceptions to the rules. As I talked about last week, we're not trying to say, well, what if someone is schizophrenic and they don't know this and then they happen to accidentally take the right? We're not talking about that. We're talking about the statistics that say over half the people who take their lives don't even have mental health issues. And this is not from my, my opinion, this is the CDC, over 50% don't even have mental health issues. And last yesterday's video, I talked about all the different reasons why they do. They do it because of their job, their family. And as I said, I read their notes. But let's go to the condemnation of the world. Popular verse here, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Now watch this. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. 
Now I'm going to make sure I check right now some comments. Is everybody tracking with me? This is the gospel. This is what we believe. If you don't believe the gospel, you're not saved just to begin with. So my friends, when we're having the conversation about whether or not suicide's a sin, and then whether or not you can lose your salvation, let's just make sure we all agree upon this, just right at the beginning as I'm checking the, the chat here, okay? Let's just make sure we agree upon this. If you don't know Jesus, you go to hell, right? If you have not believed in Christ, you're already going to hell. It doesn't matter what sins you have committed. Do we agree upon that? I believe that we do. I'm checking the quotes, uh, the, the chats here. Okay, we'll, we'll get to the losing your salvation. That's my second subject. Let me hit on now um, uh, suicide being a sin. Is suicide a sin? And before I answer that question, is suicide a sin? Before I answer that, I just want to ask you a question because I want to see if you have an open mind, okay? I want to see if you have an open mind. Whatever we come to, if we believe the scripture says suicide is a sin, would you still believe what you believe? Are you going to let emotions take away the truth of the scripture? Or are you willing, come on, to lay down emotions and pick up the scripture, okay? So this is my question to you. Because, you know, I, I do arguments, I do debates, all of those different things. And sometimes you can just see people have lost the debate. It's over. Those of us who are Christians, most of us watching this are Christians, right? You've had arguments, you've had debates with non-Christians. And, and at different points, it just comes to, you can see, it comes down to now they just refuse to believe. Like, you showed it to them. You can even see it on their face. They're like, ah, oh, I just got rocked. Yeah, I didn't see it that way in the Bible before. But then they just still hold on to it. Why? Pride. Arrogance. Self-centeredness. Man wants to be his own God. That's going to come down to suicide in just a moment. Take, Give your life and take it is what you think you can do, right? So let me just start off with this in Ezekiel. Because if you truly believe it's a sin, then it's your job to warn people. As I talked about yesterday in the video, we are not to have the narrative of the world in any situation. So the world now makes suicide look like uh, the people who committed, they're the victims. They were fighting with the disease. We talked about that. There's no evidence of that. And especially in medical science, I broke down medical science. It was on the journals. Check it out if you don't believe me. And so they may... Want, want, want alcoholics to consider themselves they have a disease and drug addicts have a disease. We don't use that language. We use the language of the Bible. And though there may be, as I said, some mental issues, which I'm not a conspiracy theorist towards the mental health community, that is still not an excuse for someone in their will to take their life. And we even had a testimony from someone, I think Gigi's listening to us, that her grandfather had schizophrenia, but loved Jesus all of his life. And it's unfair to say mental illness even equals suicide. I don't believe much of what we call mental illness is how they describe it. Yeah, that's, that's my personal belief. But even then, it doesn't equal suicide. That's a matter of the will. It's something you have to actually do. Mental illness doesn't make you do anything. It may make you feel things. It may make you delusional at times, but it doesn't make you tie something around your neck and do that. that. That is a choice of the will. Okay, so if we believe suicide were a sin, because obviously that's what I believe, right? I'm just asking you if the biblical arguments convince you, will you then do something about it? Because we shouldn't be afraid to say it. We shouldn't be afraid to teach it. So let me just give you what we're supposed to do with things that the Bible calls sins, okay? 
Ezekiel was a prophet in the times when Israel was being judged when they were in Babylon for doing wrong things. Now, this is what Ezekiel was told by God. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them warning from me. Do we believe we're supposed to warn about all sins? Suicide's a sin, homosexuality is a sin, transgenderism is a sin. And by the way, all of you here who are Christians and you're saying it doesn't say thou shall not commit suicide. Remember the Bible doesn't say thou shall not be transgender. Remember that we have to make implications from the clear teachings of scripture. It also doesn't say thou shall not rape your mom. We have to make implications. We have to take from the generals the, the specifics, and I'll show you that in just a moment, okay? Because the Bible is not a list of 20,000 things you can't do. And how many know you would have to keep making that list longer and longer with everything we come up with? You can't have sex with the robot, you know? Uh, the Bible doesn't say you can't have sex with the doll or have sex with the robot, but how many know that will fall under sexual immorality, right? Thou shall not rape your mom doesn't have to be in there because it falls under thou shall not rape and incest doesn't have to say thou shall not commit suicide because it falls under don't take the life of an innocent don't take life away right okay so we're supposed to warn people of all sins when I say to a wicked person a wicked person so somebody is wicked when they commit sins you will surely die that's what makes them wicked you will die you will face judgment now listen to this and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them, to convince them to stop. You're supposed to tell them, hey, you're wicked and God's about ready to judge you. I don't want that to happen. Let me help you stop sinning before the judgment comes. Shouldn't we do that? If suicide is a sin, and let's just say those of you here don't believe suicide equals hell, but you already believe suicide is a sin, then my friend, you have to warn people as you would any other action that's wicked. You would have to warn the person about ready to commit suicide as you would if they were about ready to rape, uh, as they were about ready to rob a bank. You would have to dissuade them from that sin. Now, we'll talk about why sin, a suicide is not only a sin, but I think it's a damnable sin. We'll get to that in just a moment. When I say to a wicked person, you shall surely die, and you do not warn them or speak out to dissuade them for their evil ways in order to save their life, that wicked person will die for their sin. They're still going to have trouble with God, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. So if you know there's a wicked thing that somebody's doing and you're not speaking to it, you're going to be accountable and they're going to be accountable for their wickedness. You'll be accountable for not telling them and they'll be accountable for their sin. But if you do warn the wicked person and they don't turn from their wickedness or from their evil ways, they'll still die in their sins. This is Ezekiel 3.19. They will die for their sins, but you will have saved yourself. Okay? I'm just going to check in as the chats. I'm doing laptop and desktop here. Guys, do you get it? If I warn the suicide person, I tell them this is a sin. You're not supposed to do this. God loves you, has a plan for your life. We'll do whatever we can to help you. In our church, we'll pay for counseling, professional counseling. We'll do our own. All of our counseling is free with our pastors. We'll do all of these things. Listen to me. At the end of the day, if they still do it, I'm not guilty for that. I, that's on them. What I was responsible for was to tell them whether or not it was a sin. Okay, I'm looking at the comments here. I believe we're tracking. Is everybody with me? We're tracking here good. Now, Let's go to the question, is suicide a sin? Is suicide a sin? Well, what are the Ten Commandments? 
What are the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments reveal, at least nine of them do, the Sabbath law is arguably a cultural Jewish law that remained in the Old Covenant. But we at least can admit that nine out of the ten uh, moral, uh, nine out of ten commandments are moral laws that continue into the New Covenant, along with all the sexual ethics laws, correct? So you and I who believe in a New Covenant, we believe that we don't follow all the Jewish laws, we follow the moral law of that covenant, but we've now followed the new laws for the Christian church taught by Jesus and his apostles, right? Like you're not thinking it's wrong to eat lechon pork, or you're, you're not having to be circumcised, you know, on, uh, you know, the eighth day or something, right? So we're all believing that there is a moral law we take from the Old Testament that applies to the New Testament. That's, that's why if someone from the homosexual movement uh, said to us, they go, oh, you Christians, you know, you, you don't think we should be homosexual and because of the Old Testament, but over here, it says, you know, not to eat pork and you eat pork. How do we explain that to them? How do we explain to them why we don't keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament, but we do say we do keep the moral laws? Well, the dietary laws, the civil laws, the priestly tabernacle temple laws, we believe those were the things that were fulfilled in Christ. But the moral teachings, how a person lives in their heart and outwardly expressed is applicable to the New Testament. And that's what Jesus kept teaching. And so Jesus would say, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, thou shall not murder, right? You all know not to murder, Ten Commandments, right? But now I tell you, even if you're angry in your heart, that's the sin of murder. So you notice he takes the moral law and makes it deeper. You've heard it said, thou shall not commit adultery. You know not to mess around on your wife or husband, right? But I tell you, if you look lustfully after another person in your heart, that, that is equal to the sin of adultery. So you see, he takes these moral laws and makes them deeper, right? So we should be able to, to, to see where did the definition of murder come from? And where did that come from as a, uh, where, where did that, where did murder as a sin come from? And where are we taught the punishment for it and how God feels about it? Well, let me just put it up here. When you go to the Ten Commandments, you instantly get a command that tells you, thou shall not murder, okay? That's Deuteronomy chapter 5. Here we go on down to the fifth commandment, thou shall not murder, now, when somebody says here, thou shall not murder only means you can't do that to yourself. You can't do that to yourself. Uh, uh, excuse me. Thou shall not murder means you just can't murder somebody else, but doesn't apply to yourself. Then, my friends, you don't understand the definition of murder. The definition of murder is to take a life. It's not just take another person's life. When you add in the word another, you're missing the meaning of murder. Murder means to take a life that is what? Innocent. Now, this is where sometimes sassy people try to say, oh, well, you all believe in the death penalty. Well, then what's wrong with that? See, we have to put in there innocent life. Someone not deserving of justice. Does the Bible teach justice for breaking moral commands. Yes. So why is it we in the new covenant still believe in things like prison, death penalties, and, and the ju judicial system, you know, done right, like they had in the Old Testament, not the same, not all the same laws, but similar to the, to the moral laws. Why do we believe that? Because we believe there should be a punishment for moral laws. 
Sometimes people say, you should keep your Bible out of the courtroom. You, you, we, we can't make laws based on the Bible. Okay, well then whose moral code are you picking? You don't want the Ten Commandments in the courtroom. Whose commandments are we putting up there? Because those can change like opinions. Those can change like the sifting sands. I'd rather have the Ten Commandments as my foundation than what you think. Because in Nazi Germany, they started thinking that Jews were, were, were not even people. They were rats. And it was okay to put them into, um, in, in, into ovens and gas chambers. You see, you couldn't do that with the standard. The standard is the moral code of the Bible. So I'll take my moral code over your moral code any day. And by the way, if you're an atheist, you give up all morals. That's not my words. That's your number one atheist. Nietzsche says that. Hume says that. Bertrand Russell says that. Alex Rosenberg says that. Dawkins says that. All atheists give up all moral arguments. Deal with that, atheist. You have nothing to even complain about. Anyways, for the rest of us who actually believe in God and morals, we better do it Jesus's way. Jesus, son of God, shows us the right way. If you're a Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever, you better come to Jesus. Why? All your founders are dead. Ours is raised in heaven. Now, let's understand this. Thou shalt not murder. Okay? Now, how are we going to apply that? How are we going to look at that in our lives? Well, those are things that people have discussed over the years. How are we going to look at murder? Well, guess what? I can go back to the early church, and I can start to understand how did Christians understand murder? How did they apply it to themselves? How did they take a position on things like abortion, which, by the way, is written about in the Didache and the Apostolic Constitutions, which is well before the Roman Catholic Church? Now, some people may have noticed that, I, and I'll read from some Roman Catholic sources, you know why it's kind of like the only thing we have going on from about the 6th century to the, the Reformation in the 1500s. So though I don't like the Roman Catholic Church, and I do protest it, and Protestants still stand with a lot of their rulings, like we believe in the Trinity, so do Catholics. We believe in the divinity of Jesus, so do Catholics. We believe in the, uh, the virgin birth, so do Catholics. Like, so I don't throw away the baby with the bathwater, but we have to go back to the writings of the, the church, not just the Catholic church, but things that even predate the Catholic church. So I go here to suicide in my book on early church writing. And I just do this because I have it actually, I have the same book on um, my Kindle, but I just want to show it to you right here. So, so you can see it in hard copy suicide 300 AD, 200 years before the Roman Catholic church. If a murderer this is by lactatious, lac, uh, lactose intolerant, no, lactantius, lactantius, a church father in the 300s. This is, like I said, about 200 years before the Roman Catholic Church even started with the first pope and all of that. L listen to what he says here. If a murderer is guilty because he is a destroyer of man, he who kills himself is under the same guilt. The church was clear on this. If you kill yourself, you're under the same guilt if you killed somebody else. Let's keep reading. For he who also kills a man, in fact, this crime can be considered to be greater than just killing a man. Killing yourself can be greater. For the punishment of it belongs to God alone. Now, you have to understand what they were thinking. If there's ever a time for God to bring justice through the death penalty or a curse upon the land or, you know, God's, God's destroying stuff, God gives us the justice, the, the way to do retribution. 
for someone else to do it themselves. Now they're not only murdering, taking of an innocent life, they're now acting as God. So now they're guilty of multiple sins. They're guilty of the sin of murder, and they're guilty of putting themselves in the place of God, acting like they can judge in a way that God has not given jurisdiction. They're putting themselves above the judge, and that is a high sin of treason. It's one thing just out of anger to take somebody's life. It's another thing to say, I know that I don't have to take my own life. I'm not defending myself against myself, in other words, but I'm going to do it because I don't trust God. What that is saying is I'm above God now in his ways. And says, we do not we do not come into this life on our own accord. Therefore, we cannot withdraw it on our own. That's the church fathers. Now, let's go a little bit further, and I'll pull it up here for you guys, and then I'll show you some more scriptures, because obviously that's what it's going to be about. But I just want to show you how easily the commandment is given to us, okay? It's not rocket science, my friends. It's not hard. Here's Augustine in the fourth century. What did Augustine in the fourth century say? He who kills himself is a homicide, and so much more the guiltier of his own death, as he was more innocent of that offense for which he doomed himself to die. Now, do you understand this? Not only are we saying it's a sin, singular, but now it's being looked at as a compounded sin, that it involves multiple things. And I always say this about adultery. People say, well, all he did is have sex with the woman. Yeah, but he first started neglecting his wife. Then he started lusting in his heart after other women. Then he started making plans that would hurt his family. And the Bible says to hurt the innocent would be better to take a mouse and hang it around your neck. Then he began to act secretly and tell lies. Then he began to make plans to meet with this person that then would end up having sex. All of those things are compounded sins, and every time they would do it, they would do it continually, compounding, compounding, compounding. And that's why the Bible says those who practice these things cannot go to heaven. And so suicide is a practice. Suicide is not spontaneous. Now, some may have done it spontaneously, and maybe you want to bend the rules a little bit, but I would go back then to them not even being saved if they spontaneously want to kill themselves. Those that are premeditated, those that have been thought through, are in a continual action of sin. And I believe even if they were saved, they have now placed themselves outside of salvation. But let's go back and look at a few more scriptures just to make sure that the sin of murder applies to the sin of, your, of murdering yourself. Okay? To the sin of murdering yourself. Now, let's look here to what the Bible says. Though, look at Proverbs 8.36. But those who fail to find me, talking about wisdom, harm themselves. All who hate me love death, love death. And I'm just going to do it now because I know some of you don't get it. Uh, I can, I, as a preacher, I'm pretty good at knowing when the sassiness comes out. What I'm going to do is just read a couple suicide letters. Just read them. Okay, I'm going to read a few suicide letters, and you tell me if whether or not this is a sin. I'm not talking about exceptions to the rule. I'm talking about the majority of people write letters. The majority of people are in their right mind. Let's stop making the, the, the exception, the rule. Let's, let's go to the rule. Let's go to the standard. And I'll bring out more stats if I go in this direction, okay, to show you the majority do not have mental health issues. And even those with mental health issues 
do not attribute that to their suicide. They attribute it in their letters and in their own words to the different things in their life. Here we go. Watch this right here. Uh, single female, 21. Here's our suicide note. My dearest Andrew, it seems as if I have been spending all my life apologizing to you for things that happened, whether they were my fault or not. Pity patty party to me, right? I am enclosing your pen because I want you to think of what you have took from me every time you see it. When I die, I want you now in torment to feel the pain. I don't want you to think I would kill myself over you because you're not worth any emotion at all. It is what you cost me that hurts and nothing can replace it. Now watch this one right here. Watch this right here. To whom it may concern, male 50, 51. Though I'm about to kick the bucket, I am as happy as ever. I'm just tired. I'm not gonna say I'm just, I'm not gonna put just in there. I'm tired of this life, so I'm going over to see the other side. Good luck to all. Man, I get so mad at the devil when I see this. You all better stop this nonsense on Facebook. Trying to pretend there's not a hell for that man. You better be serious today. You're not just messing with the council. You're talking to a Pentecostal preacher. And I'm telling everybody listening to me, you live like this, you feel this way, you will suffer in the devil's hell. Let the anointing sit in on some of your hearts today. Getting at, upset at me as a preacher for telling wicked souls where they go when they die. My friend, you do not have permission to take your life. My mind, always warped and twisted, has reached the point where I can't take it any longer. And it starts to say, I'm going out. I hope it's out nirvana, I think, Buddhists, however, they, I don't have time to read this, but it starts talking about false religion. They know what they're doing, my friend. Here's another one. Male 45. My darling, may her guts rot in hell. I loved her so much. Y'all better stop playing. Listen to me. Listen to me. I'm not yelling because I'm angry. I'm yelling because I'm passionate. I'm not angry at you personally. I'm angry at the devil. You better understand this. You want to argue with me? I'm ready to face judgment day, my friends. I'm ready to face God and whether or not I've been honorable to his word. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me, they love death. I'm going to show you one more just because you think you're going to play around. You think you're going to play around with suicide. Some of you who are here and treat it like it's not a sin and it won't damn your soul to hell. You better be serious with God. And those of you who are Christians here, stop covering up sin. That's what it is. Call it what it is. Sin. And it's a foul wickedness brought on by the devil. I'm going to let you see me while I preach for a few moments. The devil's altar call is come, come and die that you may get rid of your pain, come and die so that you may come to a better place. God can help you. There's no help here for you now. Dies all that is left. Death and pain is all you have to look forward to now. That's the devil's altar call. That's the devil's altar call. Jesus' altar call is come and live. Deny yourself that you might live. 
All those who are weary and heavy laden, take my yoke upon you that you might live, find rest for your soul. The Bible says he wishes that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I'm going to show you one more. She even says it of herself. You tell me right now you're talking to this woman. You've talked to her for hours. Let's go back to the poll. All of you sassy know-it-alls, all of you Sally sensitives, all of you pity patty party Sally's. Listen, you cops will want to know why I did it. Well, let's just say that I lived 61 years too many. People have always put obstacles in my way. One of the great ones is leaving this world when you want to and have nothing to live for. She's saying, you can't tell me when it's time to leave this world. Sounds like the devil to me in the Garden of Eden. I'll just go there right now. You can be your own God. You give yourself life, you take it away. He convinces them they're their own source of morality and, then, and, and mortality, and they're not. Look at what she says here. She's 61 years old. I am not insane. And I want to say this for everybody putting it on mental illness. Do you know that people working in the mental field right now are saying, would you just please stop doing that? We have a bunch of people dealing with schizophrenia, depression, and anxiety that come to our group meetings and say, am I going to kill myself now because someone said it's attached to it? Uh, am I going to shoot up a school now because someone says that's the reason why this person did it? The counselors literally have to tell them, even if you have this, it doesn't define you and you don't have to act on it. Please stop connecting this to suicide. I'm not insane. I am not insane. How much more does she have to tell you? She's not insane. My mind was never more clear. It's been a long day. The motor got so hot she must be in a garage letting the fumes come in with the car. The motor got so hot it would not run, so I just had to sit here and wait as she's riding in her right mind. The brakes were against me to the last. The sun is leaving the hill now. So hope nothing else happens. I'm going to take a pause right here before I go to more scriptures. But I want to see if anybody's here understanding what I'm saying. I'm just looking for a few amens. And if anybody has any questions, you can put them up now. Come on, I see some people sensing the power of the Lord here. Thank you. Thank you. This ain't a game to me. And this ain't just a debate. I'm a pastor responsible for souls. I'm a pastor responsible to when I get it behind that pulpit or I preach the word or wherever I go, I'm responsible to be ready in season, out of season. I better know what that word of God says, folks. And you debating with me, I don't have a problem with Christians asking questions. I'm not angry at that. Trust me, I'm not angry at that. What I'm talking about is you know-it-alls and sensitive sallies who don't know the word and you don't even know the stats and facts of what's happening to our culture right now. And if you're not careful, the blood of people will be on your hands. Because I'm telling you right now, I'm ready to face God on judgment day like Ezekiel. I'm ready. I'm, are you ready? Come on, I'm ready. I'm ready to give God an account for what I told the wicked people who wanted to take their lives. I'm ready. And if you dare say to me, I'm going to cause somebody to go over the edge, you're believing the devil's lie right now. Because that's exactly, I'll put it up here right now because some of y'all don't believe. Because that's exactly what they're telling you about the homosexual movement. I still feel the anointing. I'll know when it lifts and I'll get moving on to something else. But right now I feel the anointing. I sense the Lord in this place teaching some of you how to be bold preachers for the Lord. Is it any coincidence that the church that does the most discipleship, you know, most evangelism, people like me believe it's a sin? You want to know why? It's because we love people. It's because we care about people. 
You don't think I know what I'm talking about? I've spent my whole life studying the word of God. And uh, the last 20 years, my whole Christian life, I should say, studying the word of God. And you know what else? I've been making sure that when I've been talking about suicide, I not only have the biblical backing, I have the scientific backing. So I want you to understand this right here. I'm going to bring out some stats and facts because this is what, if, you're not a, if you are going to cower and not talk about suicide because, uh, uh, call it a sin, because you're afraid you're going to push somebody over the edge, look at what the world is already telling you right now about, uh, about the risk of suicide for those who are dealing with same-sex attraction. They're already putting that on you. They're already saying right now that people are committing suicide because we have told them that they are in sin for wanting to have, uh, wanting to have a sex change and having same-sex attraction. And so you better get your, your Holy Ghost, uh, Holy Ghost uh, uh, boldness because if you're not careful, my friend, you're going to stop preaching against a whole bunch of things if you think they're going to, if, you, if, you, if you're afraid of somebody committing suicide. Look at what the risks are for suicide right here. Look at the bottom one. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender with an unsupportive family or a hostile environment. So you're telling me that you think I'm going to be held responsible for them committing suicide because I told them it was wicked? And you're going to put on here, you're going to turn them off. My friends, I'm trying to warn them about a burning hell that lasts for eternity. And if you're falling for that stupid lie right now, you're going to fall for this one if you haven't already. Well, don't, y'all ain't even ready. What about the nine-year-old who just committed suicide because they came out gay? Nine-year-old committed suicide, coming out gay. Y'all don't think I know stuff? I'm tired of people acting like I don't study. I study. What do you think I do in my life, my friends? I'm not saying I'm a know-it-all, or I, you should believe it because I said it, but don't you question whether or not I know what I'm doing. This nine-year-old committed suicide after coming out gay and bullied by classmates. Now, has he reached the age of accountability? That, my friend, I do not know. But I'll sure tell you this, he's awfully close to that age of accountability. And if he knew well enough to say he was a homosexual, he may be in hell right now. What Bible are you reading, my friends? Have you heard about the prophet who was made fun of by the children? Probably a little bit. We, we say the age of accountability around that age, but they were younger than adults, called children, mauled by bears. You better be serious about what you believe. And this nine-year-old right now, because I do have a belief of age of accountability, I don't know for sure. But I would say, if you're asking me if he knew well enough to know he was against God and his creation, and he himself had a sinful desire he was giving into, and then he had enough whereabouts to take his own life, my friends, he'll be in hell. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's the real world, isn't it? It's the world we live in right now. And so do I agree with the bullying? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you right now, they'll put me on the news and I'm not ashamed of it. They'll, they'll attribute what I'm doing right now to this man dying. And if you believe it's a sin and you believe when he, let's say you believe like me, the age of accountability, and you believe like me, no matter what, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, it, it's over now. He's going to be judged. They'll say it doesn't even matter. Just because you now say a 15-year-old commits suicide for being gay and they're in hell versus a nine-year-old you, you're not sure of. They don't care. 
they're all going to condemn you anyways. The point is, you believe homosexuality is a sin, and that makes their mental life unhappy, and that puts them at risk. Okay. So sin is to take, uh, suicide is taking your life. It's murder. It's a sin. Let's go to some more scriptures. When we look at the scriptures, we see that those who hate God love death. They hate God. They love death. Here's another scripture. The Bible says that there is a way, Proverbs 14, 12, that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. If your pathway, and I sense me going into a different direction, those of you who are sensitive to the spirit, you can probably sense now, I sense, I've said what I needed to say under the anointing in that way. I still believe I'm anointed by God in a general sense, but well, that was really passionate. Thank you for being with me there. I just, if you can take it, you can make it. I'm telling you, that's God. Whether you believe it or not, that's between you and the Lord. But I've been knowing the anointing for over 20 years now. I know when God comes on the moment, okay? I know when he does. And I still believe he's here, by the way. He's with us. But it says right here, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. We know that God's ways lead to life. Whatever leads to death is from the thief who came to steal, kill, and destroy. Which one is suicide, life or death? I mean, are we really arguing about this? My friends, let me just tell some of you Christians this, who don't believe suicide's a sin. We'll talk about whether or not it can cost you your salvation and those things in just a moment. But let me just say this, my friends. Those of you who don't know suicide's a sin, you're not even reading your Bible, man. Like, I don't even know what Bible you're reading. Honestly, if you're reading it, I don't know which one. I don't know what you're thinking. God gives us life. The devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Which one does suicide fit into? If I gave you one uh, coin that said suicide on it, and I gave you two different buckets you could drop it into, one is death and one is life, what bucket are you dropping suicide into? It, it, you know, it's simple. And then now if I took off death a sticker and I said death stands for Satan and his lies, and life stands for Jesus and his purpose for your life. I mean, where do you think death and destruction, all that comes from? It comes from Satan and his lies. Where do you think life and purpose comes from? It comes from Jesus. This is obvious, but I'm trying to help those. I guess it's not obvious too, and I'll do that in patience. Now, Jesus had a way of threatening. People would take it that way, but he had a way of giving you the ultimatum. So let's just say uh, you're dealing with something that is incredibly wicked. You're dealing with abuse. You're dealing with uh, the things that just hurt you and, and are destroying you, right? And, and you've been hurt and you're trapped or whatever, okay? The Bible says if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than to be thrown into hell. It's literally telling you if, you're, if you are literally thinking about taking your life, it's better to get all the guns out your house, cut off your arms so you can't even hang yourself, cut off your legs so you can't even walk to the bridge, and go to heaven main than to go to hell with your own limbs. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, boom, boom. If you're right, this is my left, I'm left hand. So if your right hand causes you to stumble, it's better to cut it off. This is how serious God is, because if it's a sin, and I think we've clarified it is a sin now. If it's that serious and you're that tempted by it, it's better for you to cut it off, throw it in the garbage. You, you, you can't pull the trigger. It's better for you to do that than to lose, lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Okay, now let me take uh, some questions here. And stop here, and then I'll talk about uh, losing salvation. Does anybody have a question on whether or not suicide is a sin? I also can show that in the book of Revelation, it shows that uh, all murderers and cowards. Let me read that one as well. 
Revelation chapter 20 talks about all murderers and cowards. Let me shut my headphone. Uh, let me do this. Okay. Um, all cowards and unbelievers have their place in the lake of fire. Let's just read it right here. <clears throat> Excuse me. Why is this passage always so hard for me to find in Revelation? Dear Lord, help me. Is it because it's not Revelation 20? I thought it was Revelation 20. The sea gave up their dead, all that were in them, thrown into the lake of fire. I literally had every scripture ready except this one. Let me just go here. But for the unbelieving, the unbelieving, the cowardly, Revelation 21, that's the problem. Revelation 21, 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magical arts, the idolaters, all liars, will be consigned to the lake of fire, burning sulfur, for this is the second death. My friend, what is this? What is this? Cowards, unbelievers, they don't believe God's going to change the situation. They don't believe that God can help them. Even if you feel depressed, you don't have to act on your depression. Even if you feel like you're losing your mind, you don't have to act on it. God gave will as a gift. The free will of man is a gift. The devil can't take it. It's up to you today. You can give it to demons if you want. You can become demon-possessed. But remember, I don't believe every uh, suicide person is demon-possessed, but even then, that was a choice at one time to give yourself to demons, okay? And even the man who was cutting himself in the Bible didn't kill himself. He had to be under his choice to kill himself. Even the demons couldn't do that. Otherwise, they would possess every sinner and cast them all uh, to die. It was only when he put them into the pigs, and pigs don't have the will that they got thrown over to the sea. Come on, somebody. The cowardly is a choice. You are a coward. You don't want to trust God. The unbelieving, you don't believe things will get better. And then murderer to take your own life. Now I'm going to ask that Lauren would come back on. I see her with me, and then I'm going to see if I can answer some questions, and then I'll do once saved, always saved. Okay? So, Lauren, let me see if I can get you on here. I know that you want to, to join us. Let's see if I can do this again. How do I invite somebody here? And then we'll start looking at questions. Otherwise, I'll be too distracted uh, going back and forth. So, Lauren, I'm going to send this link to you. You helped me yesterday. Let's see if you can help me today. We'll answer some questions. And then I'll simply talk about once saved, always saved. It's a simple discussion. And as Lauren's preparing to come on, let me just say this right here. There are two positions really in the church. Either you have your salvation and you always live like you're saved, you know, aside from a sin or whatever that you confess, or you can be saved and then lose your salvation. But the idea that you can be saved and do whatever you want is not a Christian belief of anybody, okay? So no Calvinist, John Piper, the once saved, always saved guys, they don't even believe that. Uh, Leighton Flowers, who I was just discussing with, these subject, these kind of things on Soteriology 101, the Baptists, the Billy Grahams, they don't even believe this. So if you have an idea in your head that I pray a prayer and then somehow I can do whatever I want, that's not even held by any church that I know of that you would go to. Okay, so anybody here that's going to good churches, none of your pastors believe that. We all believe that you have to show the fruit of salvation to actually uh, prove that you have been saved, that, that you're not just a false convert saying a simple prayer like, oh, I love Jesus. Whatever. So even the ones who believe that you'll never lose your salvation will say you will live saved. 
You're not going to continue in that way. And so let me just give you this quote uh, from uh, Paul Washer. I believe my friend uh, Juan had it up, uh, Juan Garcia. And I'll just show you because here's a guy who would believe that you can't lose your salvation. He would be like, you have your salvation. You can't lose it. But the reason why I'm showing you this is because it's not really necessary to this conversation. Though I believe like it's important to the conversation, it's not necessary for us as Christians to argue over it right now, because you would have to agree that suicide's wicked, that it's a compounded sin, that it continues to show that a person's separated from God. That's why the Calvinists, even in their time in the Reformation, believed this as well, that it was damnable. You could do your research on that. Some of them might have had a hope that maybe something God would do that they didn't see in Scripture, but it was clear from them in Scripture that this was the mark of an unbeliever, that this was the mark of somebody who truly doesn't know the Lord, okay? So I'm going to try to find this Paul Walsher quote just from, uh, 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 you know, a Calvinist point of view here, see if I can find it as Lauren's coming on, and then I'm going to talk about once saved, always saved, okay? So let me see here if I can find this quote. Here we go. Okay, that's that one Paul Washer quote he has. Let's see. Okay, I, oh yeah, here it is. Okay, let me put my full screen on. Hopefully Lauren will be coming on here pretty soon. Okay, let me give you an example. This is somebody who believed in once saved, always saved. The, what they would say, the perseverance of the saints. But look at what he says. One, um, this is Paul Washer. When a man gets saved, he gets saved from God. The justice of God was coming for you. God saved you from himself. God saved you for himself. And God saved you by himself. And so the idea is, if you're saved, you're for God now. You're going to live for God. And then there are other scriptures where well, Paul Washer and these other guys talk about uh, false converts. And I'll just put a couple up here. Paul Washer. Uh, memes so you guys can see it where they're even more clear than that but I want you to see like they'll they say like if God truly saved you you're going to live saved because you've been brought to salvation here we go let me let me go let me show you this uh here we go uh let's say here we go people tell me judge not lest you be judged I always tell them twist not scripture lest you be satan Here's another one. You know this. They, false prophets, are the judgment of God upon a wicked, defiled people who, although they have a knowledge of God, they do not want him. And so God sends them the teachers that they desire themselves. If following Jesus doesn't cost you anything, it's because you bought into American Christianity. Okay. Do you get what I'm saying? Uh, these once saved, always saved guys even believe that Christianity has a tremendous impact and difference in your life. You would not commit suicide. That's that's the first thing I want to say. Now, I want to look to see if there's questions, and then I'm going to get into the once saved, always saved thing here with some scriptures, okay? And I'm trying to look on my phone because whatever reason, I can't look <clears throat> on my desktops. It's not letting me do it, which is weird. Okay, Judas Iscariot's in hell. Yes, that's a great example. Same with Saul. The two people we see in the Bible that committed suicide, Saul and Judas, are supposed to give you obvious indications the judgment of God is upon them. Don't be like them. Okay. Other people are just uh, really affirming what I'm saying here. Okay. Amen. Okay. Let's go now to once saved, always saved. Uh, and then Lauren will help me out. I guess whenever she comes, maybe she disappeared on me. 
Uh, we'll see if she comes in and joins us. Let me just check and see if she's here now. Okay, she's not here. If anybody sees Lauren come back in, let me know. She's a good co-host at a time like this. Okay, now here is the question when it comes to salvation. It's a real simple question. How does someone get saved? This is the trick of the devil to get you to think that those of us who believe what we believe are teaching we're saved by good works. Listen to me, friends. I never said I was saved by good works. Listen to what I said. I told you the gospel as I believed it right at the beginning. By grace, through faith, this is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2, wait, not by works, lest anyone should boast. This is the gift of God, right? That's what I believe. I believe as well as Arminians have believed, John Wesley has believed. We believe that not only is salvation a gift, but it's also faith. Faith doesn't come from ourselves. Faith is a gift of God as well. You have to choose to believe what God is offering you to believe. It's do you want the faith? Do you want the salvation? Do you want to believe what he's offering you? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10. So that's obvious to, to us as Christians. We all believe that, right? So stop saying, I'm telling you, I believe I'm saved by works. Now, where they twist our belief in this is that then they say, well, Joe, if you say you're not saved by works, but then you list all of these bad works, if you do, then you'll die and go to hell. Then you're saying you can lose your salvation by bad works. That's not what I've said, my friend. I've never said that. And the Wesleys have never said that. The Arminians have never said that. We don't believe that. The Pentecostals, maybe you might have heard someone misspeak and say that, but the Pentecostals have never even said that. I have their history books right up here, my friend. I have their, their traditions, the holiness Pentecostal traditions. I have so many books on our church history. We don't believe that. And if you as a Pentecostal have taught it that way, stop saying it that way. This is what we simply believe, my friends. We came in by faith. We leave by unbelief. No faith. That's what we're saying. Now, what do faith and works have to do with each other? That is a explanation of the discussion of salvation, but it's not necessarily the first conversation. The first conversation is, do you believe you are saved by faith alone, nothing of yourselves? Yes, I do. Now ask me the same question. Joe, how does someone go from having salvation by faith to no longer having it? Unbelief. So it's not how many bad works I do, to get kicked out of salvation. No, it's when I stop believing and trusting for my salvation. It's faith that brought me in. It's unbelief, lack of faith that brings me out. Are you ready for the scriptural explanations? It's so simple, okay? Let's just look at it right here, Romans chapter 11, how he talks about Jews and Gentiles being grafted in together. Look at how it goes here. Very simple. You will say then, this is chapter 11, verse 19 of Romans. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. This is talking about the judgment that came upon the nation of Israel for a time so that us Gentiles could come in. You will say Jew Jewish people have now been cursed and separated from God because of what they did. So you can come in now the gospel is going to the world. That's true. It goes to the Jews first. When they rejected, it goes to the Gentiles. That's just the way God planned it. Now Jews can still be saved during this process, but God knew they would reject it first. And then it goes to the Gentiles. It's supposed to make the Jewish people jealous. That's what the whole chapter of nine, ten, the chapters 9, 10, and 11 are about, is how God now is choosing the Gentiles alongside of the Jewish people. Just read it again with me. 
you will say then as a Gentile, branches or Jewish people were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of what? Why were the Jewish people broken off? Because they just did so many bad things? No, they were broken off because of what? Unbelief. And you stand by what? Good works? No. And you stand by faith. Now, if there was no chance of losing your salvation, if the Jewish people weren't supposed to give us an example of people who had lost their salvation, then why does he give us the very next verse? Do not be arrogant, but tremble, even as a Christian engrafted in by faith should tremble when you hear how Jewish people lost their salvation because of unbelief. Do not be arrogant, but tremble, for if he did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Who is the you here? The ones who now stand by faith. You, even as a Christian, should tremble when you think about living in unbelief. Now, does unbelief result in something? I'll show you in about 30 seconds. Hold on. Unbelief always results in sin, and faith always results in good works. Yes, there's a relationship between the two, but the most important aspect right now we're talking about is faith and unbelief. Faith is an active thing in your life. If you stop having it, you turn to unbelief. You're supposed to actively fight the good fight of faith. You're supposed to keep your faith as people are trying to take your faith. That's the purpose of this passage, to warn them. You don't believe me? Keep reading. He tells them, I'm doing this to warn you. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. God is kind and God is stern sternness to those who fell. Did they fall because he predestined them to fall? Was it God's fault that they fell? Was it that they were never saved? No, they fell because of unbelief. They were broken off. Notice they were once in. This confirms with John 15. If you don't bear fruit and you resist the Lord, you'll be cut off. I'll go to John 15 in just a moment. Don't let me forget chat box. Help me remember because sometimes I get too many scriptures in my mind. We obviously have to be in something to be cut out of something. So he's saying, consider the kindness that you now come in, but consider the sternness that they now went out and they fell of their own accord. And you're here by choosing to have faith, but kindness to you. Now, listen, provided that you continue in his kindness. This is a verb, if you can see down here at the bottom. It is a verb that is present and is active. Obviously, the word continue means that, right? Provided you actively, actively, presently continue in his kindness. By good works? No. By faith. That's how you got grafted in. Continue in the kindness of God by faith. Otherwise, you also will be what? Cut off. You will be cut off because you're not continuing in faith. And if you're not continuing in faith, you're going to unbelief. Now, what's the good news for those who lose their salvation, even in this life? And if they do not persist, once again, this is a present active verb. If you can see it there at the bottom, if they don't keep persisting, in unbelief, suppressing the truth of God that they once knew they will be grafted in. 
Watch, for God is able to graft them in again. Again, they can be grafted in. They once were in, they fell because of unbelief. Now you have come in because of faith. Don't get prideful, lest you become an unbeliever and get taken out. But also pray for them that are out, that they can come in again when they stop having unbelief. Sounds exactly like Romans. As a matter of fact, if you were to talk to people, where does Paul get his concepts from? If he doesn't quote a lot of Jesus in the Gospels, if you notice that, Paul hardly ever verbatim quotes a Gospel. And so some people will say Paul was teaching things separate from the Gospel. But we see over a hundred allusions to the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus in Paul's writings. Here is one of them. That is uh, John chapter 15, where he uses Jesus comes with that same example that Paul used. So Paul came after Jesus. This one came first. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you remain in me and I in you. No branch can bear fruit of itself if it remains in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me by faith abiding and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you, the very people he's talking about who are abiding in faith in the vine, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch. See, the branches in, this is not talking about sinners that are outside of Christ. These are branches in the vine of Christ. He's calling them a branch, just like he did in, in Romans. Come on, somebody. You are like a branch that is thrown away, withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay? One more scripture about losing your salvation. I've showed you Romans 11. I've showed you John 15. Let's go back to that passage in Ezekiel chapter 3. Remember, we're supposed to warn people. Now look at this, Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 20. Again, when a righteous person, the person is righteous, when a righteous person does evil, and I put a stumbling block before them, they will die. Since you did not warn them, they will die for their sins. Now notice this, Ezekiel 3, 20 and onward. The righteous things that that person did will not be remembered, and I will hold you accountable for their blood. Look at this. The righteous things that they have done will not be remembered. You're no longer going to be remembered for your righteousness. Now, I wrote a whole paper on Hebrews, and you guys can check it out, and I've posted it in my different blogs uh, and the different uh, comment sections. Can a person lose their salvation according to Hebrews? I did a whole study on the warnings of Hebrews, and so let me just show you here. There's at least five warnings against losing your salvation in the book of Hebrews, okay? Now, I want you to understand how this has to do with the, um, let me put this out here so everybody can see it, what this has to do with the Romans passage about how we're supposed to look at these people that were Jewish and how they lost their salvation and how we're supposed to say, man, that could happen to us. Look at literally what, what Hebrews says here in chapter 2, 1 and onward. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard that we do not drift away. See, we can drift away through unbelief. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, let me put this full screen so everybody can see. I lose a little bit of the text here. 
We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we, the very Christian here, escape if we ignore such a salvation? So we cannot ignore that. And then I talk about the we and who is it referring to here. Now watch this next one in Hebrews. This is exactly how it works. Hebrews actually describes how a, how a believer goes to an unbeliever. See to it, brothers. Notice he's talking to the Christians. The letter was written to Christians. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, how does that work? Sin, unbelieving. Notice it. Sin resulting in unbelieving. As you start to love sin, you'll love God less. As you start acting in sin, you'll start believing in God less. Sin corrupts the soul and turns it towards unbelief. When it turns into unbelief, then that soul turns away from God, even though they were once a brother. That's why it says, but encourage one another as long as it's called today. Encourage each other daily so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, let me show you sin's deceitfulness there so that you can understand that word in the Greek, Hebrews chapter 3. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3, and you'll understand sin's deceitfulness because it's actually a word that we use in the medical terms. Uh, the world uses it medically, okay? So that sins, so that you are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The word here is scleroso. Scleroso. Do you want to know sclerosis or so sclerosis? Let's look it up in the English. I'm, uh, I apologize for never being able to pronounce English, uh, in, Greek words or English words. Scl um, sclerosis. Sclerosis. We're going to get to sclerosis eventually, but let, let me see. Scoliosis. Let's go there. And then I'll show you the etymology of this word. There we go. Not scoliosis. It's, uh, that has to do with the spine. These are all Greek words. I'm going to get the word here for you again. Let me pull it out. Let me show you here. Sclerosis. S-K. This is where you know I'm doing it all on the fly. S-K. Where's my, okay, S, scoliosis. Okay, let me see. Um, it may affect the body. Let me just see. Scoliosis of the spine is when it gets crooked, but I'm talking about sclerosis. Sclerosis, not cirrhosis. I'm going to try to get, oh, I wish I would have had this ready in my notes for you guys. Give me a second. I will find this. Trust me. I'm going to get this. I'm going to show you how this Greek word here applies. And I'm, it's, it means hardening. And it's what happens to your heart. It's what happens to your, uh, uh, your arteries. I'm going to get it right here. I wish I could just um, take my time. S-K-L, S-K-L. Let's just do it like this. S-K-L-E-R. OS. Okay, here we go. There we go. Sclerosis. Okay. Sclerosis. Nope, that's not it. That is actually a name of a town, I guess, named after it. Medical world. Uh, hardening. Meaning. There we go. Okay, here we go. Here we go. 
I had the wrong word. Okay, now I have it. And it's gonna, there we go. I'm gonna show you guys right here in the medicine, scleruro, okay? Scleruro means, uh, scleruro, uh, a confusing prefix that can refer to hardness, but can also refer to the sclerella of the eye. Here we go. Scalarotity, whatever you see what I'm saying, guys. Just I hope you guys see the humility I'm trying to have to do this, but I'm not lying to you. This word, for example, is localized thickening and tightness of the skin of the fingers of the toes. And this one right here, skeloderma, skeloderma with the formation of skin tissue. Okay. And also, I know that this word can also re re refer to the hardening of a heart and the internal skin, the internal thing. So I'm gonna put this up here so that everybody can see we borrowed this word from the Greek. I know I'm a little bit lost here in the study of the Greek here right now, skeloderma. And I'm gonna put here the definition as it applies to the heart because it's gonna be helpful. Skeloderma, hardening, there we go, the Greek word there. And then um, let me put of the heart, here we go. Skeloderma in the cardiac world, the heart in skeledermia. Okay, the heart in skeledermia. The heart is one of the major organs involved in skeledermia. Thank you, Jesus. I probably lost the entire life feed. <laughs> Screenshot this, put this next to my name and say, he did it. <laughs> Oh, God, help me. I finally found it, okay? Oh, man, I didn't think I was ever going to find it. Okay, now let's go back to the point here. Be encouraged as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, how does hardening happen in the spiritual heart? How does it happen? It happens over time by sin and unbelief. By sin and unbelief, just like I showed you in the medical term, it happens. Okay, I got Lauren Sainsky finally here. I wish I would have had you here, uh, Lauren, while I was going through my skeledermia of the heart. Um, as she's coming on, Lauren, please join us. I wish you would have saved the day for me. I think I I got lost on that rabbit trail for at least, what, five, 10 minutes. But Lauren, would you bring it together? Have I skipped anything? And uh, what can I do to help people out in this subject? We've covered that we shouldn't be overly emotional. We should preach the gospel no matter who we are. And we shouldn't be afraid of what people are going to say about us. If they say we're helping people push over the edge, that's not true. We're going to warn them in our uh, blood will be, their blood will not be on our hands. Suicide obviously is a sin. It relates to murder. The church has seen it that way. We're, we're rather cut off our limbs than to go to hell with suicide. And then can somebody lose their salvation? Absolutely, because through the hardening of their heart through sin, they come to unbelief and they're cut off. Have I forgotten anything? Should I reiterate anything, Lauren? Thank you. You're the operator. You're in the control center. Help us out. <laughs> I think you did a did great, great job. I think a lot of the times... Um, that we're seeing with the people's responses, they are emotional. A lot of them have had these things happen in their own lives and it is very close to their heart. So when they hear this person's going to hell, um, it, it hurts them on an emotional level and they're not able to see past the pain to see the truth. So obviously 
we are going to tell the truth in love. And that's what we're doing. We're using the word of God. And I think the point that you made about, hey, if a person kills themselves and they already weren't saved, they're going to hell because they weren't saved. And I think a lot of the people that had maybe those experiences in their life, those people weren't saved that killed themselves. And then they think all of a sudden, like suicide almost saved them. Suicide almost made them like go to heaven, which is not the truth. So um, I think you hit everything. I think that every point that people uh, were really asking about, well, what if they were saved and they did it? I think you answered all of it. The only thing that really came into my mind as you were talking was when someone commits suicide, obviously we don't know what happens in the very last moment. Do they have, you know, a last five minutes where they really repented or something like that. But besides all of that, um, you know, when someone murders someone else, they're going to have to go through the punishment, but they still have a chance to repent. They still have a chance because they're alive, but someone who commits suicide, it's almost worse because they don't have a chance to repent, to get right. Besides the whole, what we don't know in the last couple minutes of their life, if they have that couple minutes. So it kind of almost makes it worse, right? Like, I mean, someone murders someone else. Yeah, it's horrible. We're not going to say, go do that, but they still have a chance before God to say, I am sorry, I truly repent. And they could still get into heaven, even with the sin that they have committed. Yeah, that's exactly it. Thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that it's coming through. Uh, can you look at the comments? Because some reason, since it's my feed, it limits what I can do in a weird way. Uh, so if you could just make sure we're answering all the questions. It looks like Jimenez asked for uh, Hebrews chapter two, what? Um, that was Hebrews. Uh, I'll have Lauren answer that, but that was Hebrews chapter two, I believe, what, 13? Uh, Lauren, where was I at? I got so many different links up here. Let me see. That was uh, Hebrews chapter two, verse one through three, rather. Hebrews chapter two, verses one through three. Yeah, and, th and that's the thing. Do we know somebody's in hell? I don't know if anybody's in hell. Honestly, how do I know and who's in heaven? I mean, but what do we have? We have the roadmap to what is have what, what is the path to heaven and what is the path to hell. So yes, um, I have to warn according to that. That's what we have to warn towards. So could Billy Graham be in hell right now? Yes. Could he have been living a secret life? And could somebody have a chance to repent of such a wicked behavior? Sure. But we can't go based on what ifs. We have to show the pathway to heaven. And the pathway to heaven is marked with life and self-control and self-denial, etc. And then we have to expose what is the pathway to hell. What is the way of destruction that many are on? And then we have to describe it and, and say what it is. Otherwise, we can never say, this is the path of hell or this is the path of heaven. So yes, somebody may say, well, we shouldn't say that to them personally. But, but that is exactly what we're supposed to say. Repent lest you perish. That's the whole point. Jesus even said that. Repent lest you perish. Whoever doesn't believe in God shall perish. That's John 3, 16. The word perish is in there. And so we're trying to warn people by saying you will perish. In other words, you'll go to hell. This is something you should take seriously. Uh, any questions, Lauren, from the audience? Nope, you answered all of the ones that came up about judith oh, yeah there was judas and then the one if you were once got saved and then turned your back on god because things didn't go their way then they lost their salvation so yeah you answered all of that in all of your points perfect that's awesome and yeah that that uh that rabbit trail that i had there 
uh, with the scalardia, whatever that word is, the hardening. Do you think it's a dink that the medical word uses Greek words that the Bible also uses? No, because the, the Greek culture, which I'm not going to say is Christian, but the Greek writers of the New Testament use the Greek culture, those Greek words, to help us understand spiritual concepts. It's, it's hard to understand something spiritually. I get it. Like, how does somebody go from belief to unbelief, right? Like, what does that look like? Well, they use a Greek term that has to do with a hardening. This is also the same kind of term that was used in Hebrew when it referred to Pharaoh's heart being hardened. That term Dr. Michael Brown brings out because he's an expert in Hebrew is actually the term they would use when they would put out clay, bake it in the sun to become hard. And if they overbaked it, they would become brittle. So it's like, don't let it become too hard. Otherwise it, it becomes of no good. And Pharaoh's heart kept sitting out in his own sin, baking in his sin until it became reprobate, no good. And here the same thing is with the, the Hebrew, I mean the Greek rather, it's saying your heart can be hardened by sin until the sinful heart is unbelieving and turns away from God, just as in the medical field, this plaque or whatever hardens it makes the heart unable to function or the skin and these other parts of the body unable to function. So it's there to tell us that chances are you're not going to go from belief to unbelief overnight. It's going to take time. And that's where we look at suicide. Nine, 90% of the time it's being thought out. It's being acted out as a compound sin. It's a purposeful denial of God's plan for their life. And it's putting themselves in the place of God as the determiner of when they can die, when they can leave this earth. And by the way, if you believe in suicide, then you'll have to start giving into assisted suicide, letting people die. Uh, you'll probably start going towards killing children because they're not outside of the womb and they're dependent upon the mother. So it's okay to kill them. You'll probably start believing it's okay to kill handicapped people. And that's been a part of different places like Nazi Germany. And then you'll start redefining what people deserve to live like you, um, eugenics, like Margaret Sanger. So I'm telling you, you start following this as a Christian, you'll be very shocked at where you end up. Guard your beliefs, people. Guard your doctrine. Suicide is self-murder. The church has judged on it. I agree with their judgment, Protestants and Catholics alike. And yes, you can lose your salvation. You can be cut off through unbelief. Keep faith. Remain in faith. Continue in faith, and you'll continue in God's kindness. And then let me just read another scripture before we go that I wanted to share. Why is it important to have these kinds of conversations? Is because this was actually Paul's way of presenting the gospel. Paul actually used this way of preaching the gospel because he knew that it would help persuade people. You're thinking it's going to turn them off, but the Bible says it's actually going to help persuade them. It will persuade them when they know sin. A suicide is a sin and can cost them their soul and hell. It will persuade them when they don't have the assurance of their salvation that they can have walked away from God and go right to hell. This actually helps them. This is the warning of Romans. This is the of Romans 11. That's Paul's warning there. Jesus used that warning of being cut off in John 15. And Paul did again here in 2 Corinthians 5.11. 2 Corinthians 5.11, Paul said, since then we know it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. I want you to see that in the King James, a little bit more of a 
an older translation, but it comes with a little bit stronger language. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And then look at this passage. I didn't get a chance to get to it. Hebrews 10, 36, uh, Hebrews 10, 26, rather, in the King James, listen to it here. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Come on. But a fearful looking for a judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy. Remember, this is in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, you will die without mercy, just like as if you broke the other laws under two or three witnesses of how much more sore punishment. So suppose ye find it that thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, where was he, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. So literally, this person was saved because it says they received the knowledge of the truth. Now they're going to hell because before this, they were already going to hell. So what sense would it to say, if you don't know the truth, you're going to hell? That would make no sense. This is saying you sin willfully after you've received the knowledge. Now you're going to hell. You have a fearful expectation of that. And it's saying if you would have died in Moses' law without mercy, how much more so now? And then now it says you trodden under your feet. You literally stomp on the blood of Jesus, the blood that sanctified you. See, it says he was sanctified. The person he is warning was sanctified. That means you were made holy, and now you are treating it as an unholy thing, and you have done this despite the spirit of grace. So you have fought against the very spirit of grace that saved you. So it is a Christian thing to tell people that they can resist the spirit of grace. And I'll just say it here. I want you guys to see it in a modern translation, because I know in the King James is a little bit hard, but I wanted you to see that. Let me go to it here, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. We'll go to it in the message. Don't always agree with this, but I want you to get it. If we give up and turn our backs on all we've learned, all we've been through, all the truth we know, we repudiate Christ's sacrifice and are left on our own to face the judgment, and a mighty, fierce judgment it will be. If the penalty for breaking the law of Moses is physical death, what do you think will happen if you turn on God's son, spit on the sacrifice that made you whole, and insult this most gracious spirit? This is no light matter. God has warned us that he'll hold us to account and make us pay. He was quite explicit. Vengeance is mine, and I won't overlook a thing, and God will judge his people nobody's getting by with anything, believe me. Do you think that kind of says it all right there as I feel the Spirit of God encourage me to encourage others? Yes, that is the fear of the Lord. That is what we need to have. Amen. Um, Gigi has another question here. Go ahead. She says, are you, so are your thoughts the same for nurses and doctors with assisted suicide? You kind of hit on it a little bit. Absolutely. And same towards abortion. It is assisting, it is an accomplice to murder. All nurses and doctors better be warned about how they take life. That's why they had to take the oath, the Hippocratic oath, 
to preserve life at all costs. That's what doctors are supposed to do. Now that came from the Greek culture, but we as Christians believe that because that's based in our morality. That's based in the belief that the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God gave life. God takes life. We trust the Lord. We take life into our own hands. That's, that's a high form of idolatry. And I also mentioned this in one of my comments. Dante tells us a lot about how the church understood morals and ethics. Now, we don't have to agree with it. Obviously, it's fictional. But Dante put people who kill themselves in the same place as murderers and said that they had a worse punishment than murderers. Why did he do that? Because he's pretty much a person of his age make, making fiction about what the church believed. And uh, it, taught, it just showed what the church taught. The, taught what the church taught against it. You couldn't get a Christian burial. You would lose all of your property. Uh, the church was very clear on what it felt about people committing suicide. My friends, we ought not to despise those days. When you even read the Stanford Encyclopedia article on suicide, which I posted, they have all the different opinions on this, but say the Christians took the hardest stance against suicide more than any other culture. Guess what? Christians take the hardest stance against abortion more than any other culture. Guess what? Christians have a different morality than any other culture. So my friends, stop having the worldview, and more willing I'll preach on this, I mean, uh, this Sunday, stop having the worldview when it comes to suicide. I know it's tempting to want to offer compassion towards the victim at that time, but we have to give warning. Compassion now is towards the living. Give compassion towards the family. And once again, if someone ever tries to say, you being truthful towards what that person did is going to hurt the family, then that family is not looking at it as a Christian anyway. Uh, because uh, what, what if... Uh, well, let's just say like this. What if my neighbor has a child, they convert to Islam, they become a terrorist, and they hijack a plane and blow it up? Am I not going to tell his, him his, his son's in a better place? No, I'm going to preach the gospel to him and say, what your son did was wicked. And as far as we know, this is the path of hell. I don't know who's in heaven or hell, but I can tell you, if he asks me, is he in heaven? I'm going to say, by all accounts, he's not. And according to the scripture, he's, he was on his way to hell. And if I would have saw him 10 seconds before he would have died, I would have said, you're going to hell. I mean, come on. But now, sir, I love you and I want you to repent and you come to know Jesus, right? And if I had a chance to talk to the son, I would say the same thing. I would say, don't do this. Uh, this is not the thing you want to do. Anything else before we go on with the day? Because people might think all I do is just sit around being on Facebook. <laughs> I actually got work to do. I got classes to take here, my doctoral class. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. The other one is up on our podcast. That means it is an audio feed you can listen to at twice the speed. I listen to our two-hour audio cast in, in about three-fourths of my ride, and I'll do that the same for here, and I'll make sure to uh, add anything that, that I was missing to the video feed, but you guys can follow us on our podcast, Metro Praise International. Anything yes. else? There's one more question. It's Gigi again. Um, she said, do you feel that if doctors and nurses have assisted in these situations and they have the time to repent, can they still be saved and be accepted into heaven? Absolutely. And that's the issue that I think people are missing with us, Gigi. Great question again, is that we're all saying we love people and we want to see them saved. The one who's contemplating suicide, we want them to be saved. Please be saved. I'm pleading with them, right? I love them. Our church has helped somewhere between 75 to 100 
over the years. I mean, sometimes it's one or two a month or a couple a month. So please understand us that we love all these people. And then of course, those who have committed abortion, those who have assisted, they can be saved. Even uh, Lauren here has repented of the sin of murder of her own child. She's done it publicly. God accepts her. Um, God, and if we were in a country where she would have to serve jail time as a Christian, she would be happy to do so because of a penalty she deserved for doing that. All the Christians I know are willing to admit that if that would have been against the law, they would have served time for it. But it's not against our law, but it's against God's law. So they make it right with God. The same thing with the doctors. You know, should they be punished in a court of law? Yes, our courts of law should defend life. Just like when Nazi Germany was taken over by the, the Allied forces, the Nazi soldiers were held as war criminals. Even just like that last Nazi who was shipped out of America back to, to Germany, he was 90 years old. He should be, he should, if he was a part of what they did, he should receive the death penalty, okay? But our laws don't recognize suicide. Well, assisted suicide is still against our law, and they would have to serve the penalty, but they could be saved. But even if it wasn't against uh, our law, they, they should know it's a high, it's, it's against the law of God, and it's a big problem. But yes, they can't be saved. Anything amen. Else? And then Chris Cates just wanted to say, amen, the fear of God kept me from suicide. So I think that's a huge thing. It's like, dude, we have the fear of God. It's going to keep us from sin. It's going to keep us going down those roads. Amen. I, I believe he's about the fifth one that's testified since we've been doing our posts. So if you look at, let's say, out of all of my posts, I think there's been probably active, maybe 100 uh, people active on the last three posts. And if I have heard five people, that's 5% have already testified that knowing the fear of the Lord has kept them from suicide. We're, we're doing pretty good. And I bet you if you would then take out of our 105% that testified about that, those of us out of the 100 who have ever had suicidal thoughts, I believe the success rate of it being the fear of the Lord against medication and all of that would probably be about... 100% or 80%, it would be extremely high because all of these people who are saying this, Chris, tell me if you were also on some kind of medication or if you saw a doctor, we're also seeing doctors. And we had one uh, yesterday, um, uh, the Bond, um, uh, Troy's, sister, uh, Troy's daughter, you know, a lot of these people were on medications and so forth, and God did what doctors could do. Am I against medication and doctors? No, I've been very clear on that. And, and I know for sure Lauren is my witness because she was on the last one. But the point of it is, is that it's not the solution. I gave that, that question last time. What's the one disease where your will makes the, the difference to the solution or the cure coming or not? And there's not any disease. But with suicide, it is 100% dependent upon the will. Yes, there may be risk factors, but what makes the deciding factor between you do or you don't? And you know why that is, Lauren, because I was thinking about that yesterday philosophically. It's because mental illness is not an action. It's a feeling. It's a state of being. It's something that's going on in the brain. But what is suicide? It's an action. And so that's why it doesn't apply the same way. You can't put actions and diseases in the same category. They just they don't fit. It's, a, it's called in, philo in philosophical terms a categorical error. It's a categorical error to put... Uh, diseases, things that happen to you to suicide, what you may do. But this is where they try to make the leap 
They try to make the leap that the mental illness makes you do this, but that has been proven wrong. And even the best of doctors know that's wrong now. And they're showing that through a neuroelasticity, which just basically means that the will can actually transform and use the brain. Um, and, and so the bad science of the last 50 years, and it's bad science, not bad doctors, not people intentionally trying to hurt us, but it's just bad science of the last 50 years to do biological psychiatry or to treat us as a biological machine and just do things technically on chemicals and responses of the body because that doesn't fix it. You can fix a broken bone that way. You can fix different diseases that way, but you can't fix mental health issues that way. It can help and it can hurt. That's true. It can have positives and negatives to chemicals and things like that. That's true, but it's not the solution. The solution is of the will. And that's why you need holistic approaches. That's why Dr. Carolyn Leaf, Dr. Jeffrey Schwartz and others teach how to renew the mind and by renewing the mind, change the physical outcome of the body and how the chemicals respond. Anybody else before we go? Amen, amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that people will come to know and love you. If anyone is struggling with uh, suicide, that, Lord, they'll repent and they'll seek you and find you to be loving and kind. And those, Lord, who, um, who want to live in sin and still go to heaven, Lord, teach them that your way is a better way, that you make us new creations to live according to your words. And even though we may sin, God, that's not your plan for us. Your plan for us is not to live in sin because, God, you've called us to be holy, holy as you are holy, perfect as you are perfect. And Lord, today, may we not try to get away with our sins, but to live holy and to please you and to lay down our bodies and our lives for you, even if we go through hard times, oh God, and to not think lightly of suicide, but to understand how dangerous it is to our eternal soul. Help us all to be warned by the things we heard today and be encouraged to live for you so that our hearts do not get hard, but we remain soft and pliable, guarding that precious treasure you've given us because we believe, we're confident, that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it unto the day of Christ Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Stay on just for a little bit, Lauren, as I come.